March 5th, 1963, a Piper Comanche crashes and we lose Patsy Cline in her prime. We're going to talk about it today on this podcast. On taking off. <laughs> off podcast Chrissy this is the first one yeah taking off podcast I thought this would be a really great topic since we're coming up on the 60th anniversary number one of Patsy Klein 60 years since this crash happened but also because we are feverishly working on this story yeah so we're working on a taking off video and and uh you know this is our first podcast I was actually working I've got a different podcast subject I was going to do for our first one, but you came in because we're going to be filming today your stand-up of the Patsy Cline crash, and you found a whole bunch of stuff that probably won't even make it into that video that you wanted to talk about um, on this. So Patsy Cline you know, died on March 5th, 1963, the 60th anniversary, and uh, you know, dig into this. What did you find? Oh, my gosh. First of all, I think it's important for everybody to know just how much work goes into these stories because they're, some are cut and dry. When I did John Denver, that took me about three days. That script took me three days to write. And, um, you know, it's funny. I remember writing the script and then sending it to you. And I remember your first reaction to it was, well, there's a lot of information here about John Denver. And I was like, yeah. but Before the crash. Right, before the crash. Right, like, you about have, his life. But with John Denver, it was different because John's, personality, his experiences, all of that led up to him, you know, getting into this crash. With Patsy Klein, it's different. And there's two or three different angles that we can take the story. It's kind of like Buddy Holly, you know? And the one thing that I regret with the Buddy Holly story that we did was that we didn't really focus at all on the other passengers. And uh, we certainly didn't put a lot of focus on the pilot. You know, it was... We put some. Well... And the, the, but the sad thing is, is that there's not a lot of information out there. Right. And it's a very similar situation with the Patsy Klein crash. So the it's really interesting. the The pilot was actually her manager. So it again, I focus on Patsy Klein because it there's a whole backstory and it leads up to it with her trying to get famous, basically. And she gets a little bit of success. Her success goes down. She's got this whole up and down career in the late 50s. But then she decides, her and her second husband, Charlie Dick, decide that they are going to move their family to Nashville so that she can really pursue her musical career. And it was a very fateful decision because she wound up meeting Randy Hughes and she hired him as her manager. Randy Hughes would wind up being the pilot of that airplane that she would die in. And so it's like this build build up, but that's when she started seeing success as well was because of Randy Hughes. So when you look at the story, it's very bittersweet because Randy Hughes was very instrumental in her becoming more successful. It was her, her dream was to go on the Grand Ole Opry and he made that happen for her. She became a member of the Grand Ole Opry because of him, but then it was because of him that she would lose everything in that moment. I guess it's the difference between John Denver and this case is that, you know, John Denver, we knew a lot about the pilot. The pilot was John Denver. Um, I think that as we go through all these celebrity um, airplane crashes, John Denver is, of course, going to be the outlier. Very few times 
is is the celebrity the actual pilot so um buddy holly patsy klein these are going to be more the the standard so that's interesting and um you know i I knew you were working on this and so i kind of did some research as well and could not find very much on randy there's not there really isn't a lot of information on him so the, the stuff that we do know is that yeah he was a manager and he was also a skilled guitarist and you know he was very musical in his own as well But the other thing is that um, he was a very inexperienced pilot. He was a fairly new pilot, but I cannot even find information on. Well, not not according to Chat GPT. Oh my goodness! I did a read. I had I had uh, playing around with Chat GPT for the first time, and I said, "Write a news story on Randy Rhodes, manager and pilot for Randy Hughes." A Randy Hughes, manager and pilot for Patsy Cline, include his certifications, and it came back with. That he grew up loving aviation, would watch planes take off from nearby, (laughs) that he was a CFI and all this kind of stuff before he flew the plane with Patsy Dan, this is what happens when you let the robots do the work for you. (laughs) No, no, no. This is why you don't do autopilot. (laughs) (laughs) Right. This is why I'm an elitist and I like to hand fly. No, what we do know about Randy Hughes, no, he didn't have, from what I could gather and if i'm wrong i want some if people have like more information out there please i want to know but from what i could gather he didn't not he viewed aviation kind of like you did you i mean you like aviation but you use it as a tool right that's what he did he saw it as hey instead of driving eight hours from nashville to kansas city or whatever i could take a you know two-hour plane ride i can transport my musicians to and from concerts it's exactly my situation exactly he he wanted to use it as a tool and so um that's what he did he but i can't find anything on his training when he even got his private pilot certificate what we know is that he just bought the airplane within that year it was a yellow comanche that he fairly knew yeah two or three years old it was three years old it was a this happened in 1963 and it's a 1960 comanche and it was yellow Mm -hmm. i knew that it was yellow with green stripes on it um, he had 160 hours total time, and he had 44 hours logged in the Comanche. So um, 44. 44 hours. That's it. Wow. Um, he did not have an instrument rating, and I can't even see if he had any real instrument training. So like the Buddy Holly crash, that pilot had instrument training. He had been signed up for his checkride, but he had failed his checkride. So he at least had the training. He wasn't experienced, and he didn't have the rating. That's the difference here. I can't find anything on Randy Hughes showing that he had any type of instrument training outside of what was required for his private pilot certification at that time. You know, the other interesting thing about this crash is that it happened almost exactly four years after Buddy Holly. So this was still fairly fresh. Right. That, you know, the day the music died was four years before where, you know, famous musician piles into small airplane. And um, so... Yeah, this is the day the country music died. (laughs) Right. Well, it took a lot of guts for Patsy to uh, climb into that, but she had flown with him a little bit. She, yeah, she she had flown. She was um, an experienced passenger, I guess, if you will, where she had flown in um, commercial aircraft, which back in the 50s and 60s, it's not the airliners of today, of course. We're talking DC-3s and Constellations and primitive jets and things like that. But... um, she had no reason to not trust Randy Hughes. She literally told him on that day, um, 
if you want to if you want to stay, we'll stay. If you want to go, we'll go. I trust you. She actually said that, you know, based on eyewitness accounts. So the the whole leading up to that, it's very interesting. I don't want to burn the candle, you know, bur or burn the fuse on on the story. It's just it's so hard because there's so many little details that I want to put in the story, but you gotta kind of you know cut it down. Okay. Well, this is this podcast is a great way to do that because pe people can go and watch on our ch YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash Taking Off, and check out. Christie's Patsy Cline video, which will have already been posted by then, I'm sure. Um, but when you dug into this, um, you found some interesting theories. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, okay. They, if you look at their flight track from that day, so you got to kind of back it up a, a couple of days, actually. The whole reason they were in Kansas City, they had flown to Kansas City to do a benefit concert for another musician who had died in a car crash. This whole story is just riddled with tragedy. Um, they Patsy had gotten sick. She was actually, they don't know if she had the cold or flu or flu or whatever. Just like you know. Richie Valens. Right, and, yeah. exactly. Wasn't feeling well. Um, but she performed three performances that night. They stayed the night in Kansas City, and they were supposed to depart the next morning. But they couldn't because the airport was fogged in. So even if they wanted to go, they couldn't. They weren't allowed to take off. So the day afterward, there was a line of storms that had come through. When you look at what their flight path was, it was very because I started when I first saw that there was no explanation behind it. They went due south to Rogers, Arkansas, and then due east. I was like, why not? I mean, it's flat land. Why not just? And then when I started digging into it, I found that it was because they were trying to follow behind the line of storms. The whole trip that day was just turbulent and garbage. So they fly south and they land in Rogers because they need a break. They need, you know, um, it's it's just m moderate turbulence for a small Comanche. You right. know, they fueled up, took a breather, you know, whatever, and then got in the airplane and they headed east. They land in Dyersburg, Tennessee, which is only about, I think it was like 70 or 90 miles. I can't remember exactly what, but it wasn't that far. It was within 100 miles of Nashville. And they were just waiting for the the weather, the weather to move off. And while they're there, they decide to eat. There's a little um, restaurant in the airport, and there's also an FAA briefer live sitting there in the airport. And that's when Randy Hughes goes and he talks to Leroy Neal, who's the briefer. And the briefer tells him, bruh, I don't think you should go because I, I can't tell you whether to go or not. You know, I'm not a cop, but I can tell you that it's, not great weather here. It's deteriorating because the sun is getting ready to set, which means that now you've got the temperature and dew point spread coming together. And it's below VFR minima in Nashville at your destination. Well, Randy Hughes calls his wife, Kathy, and Kathy says, oh, no, the, the weather has passed. And so um, the passengers have all gone and sat in in the restaurant and of course people have recognized them they're you know signing autographs and talking with other patrons of the restaurant and randy goes and he talks to the pat you know patsy klein cowboy copas and uh hawkshaw hawkins and he gives them kind of the information and pat that's when patsy says well if you want to stay the night we can in fact they had been offered a free hotel overnight wow yeah they had been offered to stay there for free the airport manager um, at the time, uh, his name was uh, William. Oh gosh, what was his name? 
It was William something. He actually says, um, hey, you guys can stay here, keep the airplane here, you know, whatever. I don't think you should go. They, so many people came together to try to talk them out of going because they saw the conditions. But Randy was like, we've come, he literally said, we've come this far. We'll be home before you know it. And uh, he even, he assured William, hey, we'll get up, we'll take off. And if we, if it gets bad, meaning if we get into the clouds or get into some bad weather, we'll just turn around and come back. And William said, you know what? I'm going to turn on the runway lights then for you. So that way you could just turn around and come back. Because he figured they were going to get up, get out, you know, get going, realize it wasn't good, and then turn around and come right back. The problem was that at the time they took off, the weather had deteriorated to IFR conditions. It was overcast at 500 feet. Oh, wow. And the visibility had gotten really bad as well. So, I mean, they were – and then it was very turbulent. It was extremely gusty. And they got up there. And as you know as a pilot, turbulent conditions create um, – Spatial disorientation. Spatial disorientation. It, it occurs even more prevalently in turbulent conditions. So they get up there, and the airplane's just getting rocked. They're in the clouds. Randy loses his situational awareness and then goes into a graveyard spiral. But there's – in going down the rabbit hole, I found another theory. Because they had been traveling all day in this airplane, um, somebody actually came up with a theory and made a blog post on it, a very well-written blog post where he does a lot of background research and goes looking for answers – there's a possibility that they may have been suffering from carbon monoxide poisoning as well. But the problem is that at this time, with the information that he has, he can't prove it. Nobody can prove right. it. So the the reigning, what the CAB, the Civil Aeronautics Board, which was the precursor to the NTSB, what they came up with was, well, he got spatially disoriented. And that's what led to him. Flying into the ground. Basically. And so, yes, but and so here's the thing is that that puts a lot of onus on Randy Hughes. That puts all the onus on him, honestly. Right. And it almost demonizes him in that respect. And my goal here is not to demonize Randy Hughes. It's to look at the situation and come up with a, okay, guys, we can do things better. This is how we learn from these types of accidents. Yeah, what can I take away from this? But if Randy Hughes was suffering from carbon monoxide poisoning, they were, like I said, airplane, turbulence, Let's add carbon monoxide into it. Long, tiring day. Um, and then you got the heavy smokers and, and all of that. It actually takes some of the onus off of him. The problem is that there really isn't a lot of evidence to support it. Right. The theory, you know. And the author of this blog actually goes into detail and says, well, I've seen, I found in my research that other Comanches have suffered from carbon monoxide oh, yeah, leaks. But, but just but, about every general aviation airplane. Can, right, exactly. Yeah. You could say that. I mean, look at the Mooney, look at right. that, you know. And so, um, but it's just, it's an interesting theory. It's it, interesting. I, I don't know that it necessarily takes the responsibility off of him because, I mean, that's one thing Dan Bass talked about uh, with his carbon monoxide poisoning. And if, if you don't know about Dan Bass' story, uh, check that out on our channel. It's one of our most popular in the hangar episodes is when we talked to Dan Bass, who passed out in his Mooney and woke up in a snowy field at night, um, his plane miraculously landed itself. I mean, rough, but it, he survived. Any landing you can walk away <clears throat> from. Yeah, and the, you know, Dan would talk about that he should have recognized the warning signs. 
Um, so I don't know. But it that impairs your judgment. That's it does the thing. impair your judgment. And, and that's, that's what I mean by taking the onus off of him is that, yeah, Dan's judgment was impaired. It's it's almost like having too many drinks or whatever. It's like having yeah, drinks. Drunk. Yeah. Right. You're and, drunk. And Dan but you talked about that. Right. Yeah. You're drunk, but you don't but you didn't drink. Like you didn't put yourself in that position on purpose. And so same thing with Randy Hughes. He he I don't think he did anything really wrong up until that point. You know, he in fact he tried to avoid the weather. So the question is, did he was his judgment impaired? Was he drunk, you know, in essence with, with carbon, with carbon monoxide. monoxide? And he was like, nah, well, we got this, man, we'll go. You know, or or was it something else? Or was it really that macho attitude? And that's kind of where there's this fork in the road of where I want to take this story. Okay. Well, let's back up a hair. Um, FAA briefer. First of all, I've never heard of that. Um, so back, I guess, in, in that time, they would have an FAA employee working at the airport. At least at this airport, mm-hmm. he was. He actually had an office there at the Dyersburg, Tennessee airport. So why? I would think as an FAA, you know, obviously as a briefer, you can't tell a pilot not to fly or to fly. Um, that's the pilot's decision. But if the field is IFR. How could he say, look, you're illegal to take off here? So there's two things. The So the FAA and the regulations that we have today are not the FAA and regulations we had back then. Okay, fair enough. So I don't know what they were allowed to say back then. But I know I have several air traffic controller friends, for example. They're FAA employees. They cannot tell VFR traffic or, you know, like you and I, if we were just going flying around, they can't say that we're not allowed to go. But they can hint towards things. They can offer us other things. But they can't say, yes, you can do this. No, you can't do that. Under VFR. Well, I mean, yeah. They're but like a Class D or towered airport that the airport has gone IFR. They can tell you you are not cleared to take off. True. Well, yeah, if they don't have like an IFR clearance or a special or whatever. VFR, or whatever. But again, the FA, like the regulations today are not the same as they were back then. Okay. And so a lot of these incidents, like we've talked about before, our regulations and rules are written in blood. And maybe this was one of those cases that, you know, led to changes in those types of things. Because what Randy said when he talked to Leroy, he said, okay, this is my, he gave him the plan. He said, which kind of leads me away from the, well, maybe he was drunk because he made logical sense. He said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to take off from here. I'm going to fly due East until I find the Tennessee river. And then I'm going to follow the river. And then that'll get me, to Nashville, and I just talked to my wife, and my wife said that the storm has passed. So all I have to do is fly low enough to stay under the deck until I find the river, and then I'm I'm home free. The problem is that, you know, over water is when you get that temperature and dew point spread that, like, a lot of times clouds and stuff will form over those rivers, and that's exactly what happened. He, yeah, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He took off, and he was flying due east looking for the river but never found it. Because the clouds had already formed in that area. And so um, Leroy couldn't tell him, at least at that time, you're not allowed to go. Uh, that's too bad. The, the other thing that would poke a hole in the carbon monoxide theory, in addition to him being very logical and, and appearing not drunk on carbon monoxide, um, would be that all the different witnesses, did anybody ever say, well, Randy seemed to be you know, a little incoherent or did his wife 
testify on that phone call that he sounded a little off. Not at all. So, and, and not only that, but the passengers, none of them were. Yes. Okay. So, so in Dan Bass's case, he talked about how he was slurring words and, and things like that. So I find that interesting. Yeah. So, and I think, but that's, and that's why I said there's really no evidence, but it, it's just something to real, to think about. Yeah. You know, it, it's just one of those things. So, um, but that, that could just goes to show the level of like work and research that we put into these stories I would like to say that, yeah, we could, you know, chat GPT it or whatever, <laughs> chat AI and bang one out. Autopilot out the uh, these reports. Yeah, exactly. But it it really does. I mean, I've the last week and a half, I've been, you know, I've because we've been messaging almost every day. It's like every day I've been working on the story for at least an hour or two in the hotel rooms, you know, during trips at home, et cetera. It's a lot. But um, and it just kind of we snake and we do different things. And you and I actually had one creative difference because you want me to kind of tie it in with like Kobe Bryant and stuff. And and I have a different opinion on that. And that's another well, thing because too. of spatial disorientation. Yeah. I'm like I recommended throwing in that this is similar to a couple of Buddy Holly and Kobe Bryant, because what I was trying to say there is that on these um, I want to say ancient history crashes. Uh, 60 years ago, a lot of pilots and people might think, well, this doesn't really apply to, hey, yeah, cool story, dude, but it doesn't really apply to me because it was so long ago. And my point in recommending that you mention Kobe Bryant is that it shows people that the same problem that happened 60 years ago happened recently. But it's a different problem. Well, it's still spatial disorientation. It is. It just happened to pilot in this case, in Kobe Bryant. He's He actually had IMC he, training. Right, and that's the big factor but, but, here. But they both, it's like the training didn't matter. He still succumbed to it. It's actually an even bigger lesson there. Well, yeah, but I think that's a, but it's a different lesson in my opinion. Because I have suffered. So true story. We took off out of Chicago last week and it was my leg and it was, um, you know, kind of garbage weather around the area. And we took off and I started to get the leans because we were in turbulent conditions and it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, you have to reorient yourself, you know, back to the instruments. And that's exactly what I did. I felt like I was turning right. And I wasn't. We were straight and level. Well, we were, you know, climbing out, but we were behind another airplane taking off. It was already turbulent, but then we were also dealing with some weight turbulence and, and everything else. It was just very, very turbulent. And I found myself, but I've got the training and the experience. And so I just, you know, yoink right back to my instruments. There are pilots that have the experience and the training that haven't done that, that get themselves into situations, which is what Kobe Bryant did. Well, well yeah. Or Kobe Bryant's pilot. Well, in that case, I, one of my clients is one of the major um, helicopter manufacturers, and they have um, a facility here near us, and we do a lot of shooting there. And they have a simulator for helicopters, and they did an, an IIMC training class, they, the first size inadvertent, inadvertent instrumentological um, conditions, because what, what they were finding is that helicopter pilots more than fixed-wing pilots really don't fly in IMC. Right. And so even though they I flew in a helicopter with with a on a mission with a, a helicopter pilot who told me he was a double I in helicopter. I said how many how much actual do you have? He said zero. 
So here he is a double I. He's teaching instrument and he's never flown an IMC. So I think instead of a lack of experience or a lack of training or whatever, it's a lack of proficiency. That's yes. the difference. Okay. So, but, but in that case, so it's a lack of proficiency. In that case, it puts Kobe Bryant's pilot in the same with Randy Hughes. See, and I differ. I, I think differently. Why? Because it because Randy Hughes didn't have a lack of proficiency. He had a lack of training and a lack of experience. Zero. Like, but they equal the same thing. They well, equaled the same result. They got spatially disoriented. If you if you go down that path, though, now you're saying that well, yeah, the the end result was the same. It was a crash. You know, they got so like an icing. So let's talk about like um, when American Eagle and the Roselawn incident. Mm -hmm. They got in into yeah. They were in IMC, but they were they were picking up ice. And the ice wound up, you know, causing a stall and they spun it into the ground. You could say it's the same thing. They got into a situation they shouldn't have been in. Well, yeah, that's a little bit more broad. I mean, I'm talking and in, in, in when you get to the very specific what probable cause right. of these accidents, the probable cause is specifically the same thing. So, so I it's think Randy Hughes got spatially disoriented and flew into the ground. Kobe Ryan's pilot got spatially disoriented and flew into the ground. Yes, uh, but I think there were two different like situations. I think that Kobe's pilot was under duress and pressure to go because yeah. of his clientele. I think that Randy had get their itis, and those are two different things. True, I, get, I give you. They that. get into right. They get up. They get into it, and you're right. Either way, they got spatially disoriented, and they wound up, you know. Kobe, flying into the ground. Right, flying into the ground. and so, But I think that it's uh, – I see it as kind of two different things, though. I know you're kind of – you see it as like the same thing. Well, they got spatially disoriented. But, see, Kobe's pilot, I think, has a little bit more onus because he had the experience. True. To be – for in a lot of ways. He had the experience to say, no, we're not going to go first and foremost. But uh, in another way, he also had the experience and training to revert back to his – instruments and he didn't and the question is why why didn't he do that you know um whereas like me for example i get a little bit of the leans i go back to my instruments and it just it well I can, I can answer that question because when we did the video on the um iimc training for the helicopter they brought in helicopter pilots different level training and we shot them in the simulator and um to a person um Pretty much they all crashed in the simulator when they were um, introduced to inadvertent IMC while flying the helicopter. I just believe that the, the rotor pilots just – and that's the whole point of what we were doing for this main, main manufacturer was letting them know there's a whole training program for this because helicopter pilots just are not proficient in flying an IMC where fixed-wing IFR-rated pilots are. Typically, yeah. There, I mean, there are obviously instrument rated. Like I would talk to, you know, Brian, for example, Brian Turner. I did his. Who has a Comanche. He has a Comanche. One year newer <laughs> than the one in Patsy Klein's case. He's got a Comanche, but he's got an IFR rating, but he is not proficient. <laughs> I mean, no, he he admits that. This is not a slam at Brian in any means. You know, Brian's one of our, you know, best good friends. Right. Um, Brian and I talk all the time about, and I go fly with him in the Comanche and put them under the foggles and say, all right, let's go do some holds and approaches. You know, let's, I want, I want you to, and I want you to hand fly. Mm -hmm. You don't get to use the autopilot because I'm trying to train his brain to, you know, if he starts to get that sensation, 
he needs to revert back to his instruments. That, you know, he's one that has, he's got some experience in IFR now, IMC flying. He's got the training, but does he have the proficiency? And that, so to me, I see that as a different story. I think that, I think that Kobe's pilot thought he could handle it because he had the training and the experience. Randy Hughes thought he could handle it because he didn't think it was going to be that bad, but he didn't have the training or the experience. I think that we should do a review on Kobe. Yeah, and we probably will. And it, the, and that because <clears throat> to me, that's a that's a different lesson. In fact, that's an even greater lesson. That's a a more dangerous in, in a lot of regards. Yeah, because yeah. It, now you've got now you're overconfident, right? Right. You've got that confidence. Well, I'm trained. I've been in IMC before. I can do this. And then you go and you get yourself into a situation and now you can't get out of it. And then you get spatially disoriented and you thought you could handle it, but you couldn't. With Randy Hughes, he, I don't think he realized what he was getting into. Yeah. Because he didn't have the training and stuff. So that's my that's just my point. But that's where you and I have these healthy debates. And I love yeah. it, by the way. Well, and, and, and the passive client is yours. So at the end of the day, uh, you'll win that argument. And yeah. Um, and, and for those who have watched um, Christie's video on Patsy Klein, you'll notice that there is not a reference to Kobe Bryant. So there will um, not be, you know. But yeah. but the thing is that the the thing as we wrap up. So you know, a lot of times what we do with these, um, you know, we we write these scripts, we bounce ideas off each other, and then we get together in the studio on the day that we're going to film. We kind of go, we rehearse it, and we make some last minute changes, and that's the and then we film it, and then we edit it and produce it. I'm at the, we're, right now we're at the stage where we are in the studio, of course, and we're getting ready to rehearse it and film it. And I'm still at a crossroads because I want to talk more about Randy Hughes. He was the pilot, but there's nothing out there. There really isn't anything out there. So if there is anybody out there that actually has more information on Randy Hughes. Now here's a really interesting story that I didn't, that didn't make its way into my script. Cause I, there's things that I want to talk about, but they don't really tie into the story very well. Um, Randy Hughes' wife, Kathy, was Cowboy Copa's daughter. So Cowboy oh, wow. Copa's was Randy Hughes' father-in-law. Father so Kathy lost her dad and her husband in the same crash. Wow. And that's a really interesting tidbit. But, like, it's hard to write. It's kind of like the Patsy Cline. And I actually wound up taking out that one section about her abusive father and her seeing him or yeah, her going to see him on his deathbed a few years later. Cause it's just a, it's a side fact. That's really interesting. And I, I wish I could be like, Oh, here's an interesting side note. Here's well, an interesting I mean, side note. Here. We get to do whatever we want. So if you want to put that in, you should put it in. And I know it's just, I, I'm trying to make things flow. I want the story to be cohesive and flow, but it's hard to kind of, you know, yeah. oh, and, and I mean, by the way, I mean, you know? like, and you mentioned at the, the top of this podcast that, um, like when you had the John Denver script and you sent it to the first draft to me, and I mentioned that we spend a lot of time on John Denver's life before we ever even get to the crash. Um, but I didn't stop you, I, I didn't want to stop you from doing that. I was like, okay, this is going to be different. We'll probably get comments, uh, complaints from viewers that say, hey, I thought this was going to be about to crash. Um, and we did get those comments, but what amazed me, we got even more comments about, wow, I didn't know that all about John Denver. Oh, I didn't know he grew up in Fort Worth. Oh, I didn't know this and that. And so, um, I thought that's great. Sure. We got the comments like, you know, crash doesn't even start until eight minutes in, you know, and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I think that was great. And, and I encourage you to 
first of all, be yourself, and you're going to pull up the things that you find interesting in your research and I think that's great. Right. Well, and, and the thing with John Denver is that, like I, like we said before, he was the pilot, and it was ultimately his life experiences that led him to that point. With Patsy Cline, this is different. It's it it was also her life experiences, of course, that led her to this point. But it doesn't talk. It doesn't necessarily talk about why the crash happened, and that's kind of where I'm at right now because I want it to be more about the pilot. I want it to be why did Randy Hughes. What led him to make the decisions he made to continue that flight that night when they should have stayed? Why didn't – but but I could also be like, well, why didn't Patsy say no? Because she didn't know. She wasn't a pilot. She trusted him and his judgment, which yeah. turned out to be not great judgment. But um, the, the problem that I'm running up against, though, is that Patsy Cline is the star of this story, unfortunately. She – when when this crash happened, I mean – there, people don't talk about Cowboy Copas. They don't talk about Hawkshaw Hawkins outside of, yeah, they were in the airplane. They were they were at the benefit. They died as well, unfortunately. Here's another interesting side note. There was another country music star um, at the time who died in a car crash going to Patsy Cline's funeral. Going to the funeral. funeral, yeah. So that's why I said the story is just riddled with tragedy. Yeah. It's, it's you know, they the whole reason they went to Kansas City was a benefit concert for another musician who had died. Then they die, and then more people die. You know, it's just, it's such a sad story, and it's one that's really hard to tell, but it's one that needs to be told. And the difference with John Denver and Patsy Cline is that there wasn't a lot out there about John Denver and about the crash in that was cohesive. It wasn't, here's his life that led up to this, him making these decisions on this point. There are stories out there with Patsy Klein and that's kind of the other well, thing we had the too. same thing with Buddy Holly yeah exactly but John Denver literally took off I mean we got over a million views on that video in four months because yeah. because there wasn't it was it was new information if you will it was it was a cohesive story when I wrote that script I had to go to several different entities pull everything together including the NTSB report and put it together and then I made this like cohesive story with Patsy Klein it's different people know that she was a country music star and that she died in a plane crash. And there's there's other ones out there. So I'm really interested to see how this is going to turn out. I am personally interested and I'm, I'm extremely honored to tell her story. I grew up listening to Patsy's music. My aunt listened to her music. Mm. So I remember I, we literally had an old record player. And my aunt would literally put on these records. And it would be, you know, Patsy Cline. And so... I, I knew about her. I just didn't know the details of her life. And the more I learned, the more intrigued I got. But unfortunately, all those little details that intrigue me don't really lead into the story of as to why this crash happened. Yeah. And so uh, like the the her visiting her her father would she would later say that her father was very abusive to her when she was a kid. He her father would abandon their family. Her mom and dad split up and her dad just abandoned him. Um I think it was like 10 years later or something after that happened, her dad was on his deathbed. He was dying of lung cancer. And when Patsy found out, she convinced her mom to go and visit her father on his deathbed. And she said, well, you know, this is it. He's, he's dying, so we better go make peace with it. And, like, that's just the kind of person she was. She kind of stood up out of her own. But, again, that doesn't really tell the story of why this crash happened. It talks about Patsy, but it doesn't play into the crash at all. 
No. But neither did some of the stuff on John Denver. So I think it's just good background. Because like you said, it shows who she is. Right. So I would encourage you to include it if you feel like including it. But the things that happened with John really did play into the crash. They played into his personality, which led into why he made those decisions. Mm. Because because John was effectively exiled okay. as a kid. Because of a because John was the he pilot. was over yeah he was overcompensating effectively and and he was the pilot I mean because exactly really the cause of the crash in all these celebrity crashes is not going to be the celebrity right, right. Most, Kobe Bryant did not cause a helicopter he didn't crash. fly the helicopter into the ground no. Patsy did not fly the airplane into Randy the ground. Rhodes didn't fly the Randy detail Hughes. no Randy Rhodes oh Randy Rhodes yeah that's one I'm working on oh. Oh, okay. You keep seeing Randy Rhodes, and I'm like, Randy yeah, I'm, yeah. Because I've been, I've been researching. We talk about research. The one I'm working on is going to be three weeks after your Patsy Klein. Interesting. And that's the Randy Rhodes crash, and that's why I keep accidentally saying Randy Rhodes. What I'm learning is that it's this time of year, and guys named Randy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very cool. So this brings our first official ever flat out podcast. Uh, to a close. And I appreciate you guys listening. We're going to try to build this podcast, give you guys something maybe a little bit different, um, a view behind the scenes here at the Taking Off International World Headquarters. So as you can hear the trains and the cars in the background. All right. Yeah. I'm I'm excited about it. I'm just going to rename this podcast Debates with Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we'll see you guys later. Thanks for tuning in.